trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I'm your only host. This is my solo podcast. But you knew that. You've listened to this before. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe it's your first time listening. In which case, thank you. I'm glad you're here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Not just for me, but for you too. Not for the people in the room, though. Because there are no people in the room. It's just us. Just who? Me. You. Us. Talking. Feeling. Together. I took last week off, honestly, in large part because I knew I was going to have basketball to watch, and I needed I needed to get ahead on that. Nothing more serious than that, and I only took off the week from this podcast. Everything else still happened. Oh, so exhausting. Speaking of exhausting, even more work on my plate right now because the Unpops Word Store has sort of launched. I'm back to writing stuff regularly. And you can read it all at medium.com slash unpops. And in the coming weeks, as I'm able to spend more time on that, there might be other developments. Maybe we'll have additional writers. Maybe we'll take submissions from you, the listeners. Maybe you can write there. Maybe you'll make money for it. Maybe we'll all make money over it. Who knows? What I do know is if you want to read a transcript of today's podcast, you can do that at medium.com slash unpops. And when I say that, I mean you can read a transcript of what the the podcast is actually about when I get to that. This crowd work bullshit I'm doing right now, I'm afraid not. I'm not going to go back and listen to myself say all of this intro shit and then fucking clickety-clack type it myself. No, 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 no. But... I did because I usually make pretty extensive notes for this podcast, historically speaking, and by that I mean the past two or three weeks. I figured, hey, I'll just write it out. And if people don't want to hear me say this shit, you can go read it at medium.com slash unpops. And hey, if by some miracle chance you only listen to this podcast and nothing else I do, and you want to go show a little extra support, Head over to medium.com slash unpops and click the like button on the transcript of this podcast. And by like button, I mean applause button. They don't call it the like button. Facebook would sue Medium into oblivion if they don't own Medium. Do they own Medium? I feel like Facebook owns most internet companies. Whew, who knows? Can you tell that having written out so much of what I'm going to say on this episode has also inspired me to smoke a little weed before I started. No, you probably can't tell, because I'm a professional, baby, and this is going to be entertaining no matter what, at least as entertaining as a podcast about a massive pedophilia and human trafficking ring can possibly be. And you've been listening to this network for a while, not the first episode we've done about that topic, and I'm assuming those episodes were funny too. 
That's conspiracy shit. Probably had Connor McSpadden on it. All kinds of chuckles. Maybe not as many chuckles today. We'll see. It also isn't going to be as long of an episode as normal. At least I don't think so. Medium.com would have me believe it's going to take 11 minutes to read through what I wrote for the episode today. I feel like I can stretch it out a little longer than that. There will be some applause breaks, if nothing else. I'm expecting several. I mean, I will pause for you to applause. (laughs) I will pause for you to applause. What? That's not how you say that. Anyway, you know what else you won't find in the transcript of this podcast on Medium is what's happening right now. Me telling you about all the fun shit that happened with me over the weekend. There actually wasn't a lot of fun shit. Well, I mean, it's my birthday weekend, and there was March Madness on. I watched a lot of basketball. I went and saw us, like the rest of America, and I have thoughts. It was fine. It was a good movie. So I did that. My most exciting adventure this weekend centered around ordering weed. It should have been not really an adventure at all. I was trying to order three vaporizer cartridges from a weed delivery service that I've just started using. Problem, these weed cartridges are in packaging that is identical to another product this company makes that is the exact same price, which is, it's an eighth of weed. It's a company called Old Pal. Go out and look at their packaging. You'll see what I mean. It all looks like old-timey roll-your-own cigarette tobacco from the fucking 1800s or whenever people were rolling their own cigarettes. Who does that? I do that sometimes. But so this packaging looks almost identical and these vape cartridges, I think, were a new product. So the first time I order them, the driver, someone somewhere along the line fucks up. And instead of three vape cartridges, they bring me three eighths of actual weed, which at first a little aggravated. So, uh, I mean, as aggravated as a person should be in that situation, which is, I just sent them a message and said, hey, I got the wrong thing. Can we exchange it? To which they replied, under California law, because the products in question are consumables, they can't be exchanged. That means they have to bring me the correct product, and I have to dispose of what they brought me in whatever way I see fit. In other words, I got three extra eighths of weed trying to order three vape cartridges. Good times, even if it just ends there. But it does not end there. Because the way this exchange had to work, I had to keep the weed. The company put a credit on my account that I was supposed to use to reorder the vape cartridges, which I did right away. And people, would you believe it? They did the exact same thing again. Except in this case, I tried. I told the driver, you have brought me the wrong item. Can I please give this back to you and you bring me the correct item? I hadn't even opened that environment-destroying, child-proof Ziploc bag that reputable dispensaries have to use when giving their product to people. I hadn't even opened that. I could just tell that what I was feeling inside that envelope were definitely not vaporizer cartridges. They had once again brought me three extra bags of weed that I didn't order. But no, they would not let me exchange it at that point either. What they told me is I had to notify the service I ordered from, 
which apparently is subcontracting these deliveries out to various dispensaries in the area, which makes sense because they deliver statewide. And I had to call them again and say, look, and I didn't even call. I don't fucking, if I make phone calls, something's really gone wrong. So I sent another email and I'm like, look, I I feel like I'm gaming the system at this point, but the same thing just happened. You, You sent me three more eighths of weed when I wanted three vape cartridges, which is great, but also I really need those vape cartridges. I'm completely out of that type of weed. I am flush with analog weed, as some people call it. But digital weed, none. I have none. Please bring me the vape cartridges. And they did finally get that right, but not before I got uh, three quarters of an ounce of weed for free. And it was uh, pretty good weed, which is probably why I'm wasting so much time telling you about this right now, when I could be talking to you about the news that's on everyone's mind right now. Because finally, over the weekend, the findings in the Mueller probe floated gently down to Earth like a meteor that was supposed to destroy the world, but ultimately just fucked up a 7-Eleven a little bit instead. What we all wanted was destruction and ruin of Trump. What we got instead was destruction and ruin of our hope for the future. Except not really. We still haven't seen the report. All we've seen is a letter from William Barr assuring us there's nothing in the report to worry about, which in and of itself isn't even true. From what we know so far, it says there's no evidence of Trump knowingly colluding with Russia But it also doesn't do anything to clear him of obstruction of justice charges, which also a crime, everybody. If you think what happened over the weekend means vindication for Trump, you're probably just a little too eager to prove you're not on the wrong side of history by supporting him. I mean, you are, obviously, and you know it, but you also know it's really difficult to indict a sitting president. So enjoy your moment, I guess. But even then, that there's no evidence that he knowingly colluded, in no way means he's definitely innocent as it pertains to those Russia claims. It just means there wasn't enough evidence to move forward with any additional legal action. If you honestly believe that equates to total vindication, I absolutely cannot wait to hear your updated thoughts on O.J. Simpson. Because look, sometimes people get away with stuff. You know, no one would commit crimes if there wasn't at least a little bit of a chance of getting away with it. And the really good criminals, the ones who get to keep committing crimes for years and years and years, they pick up tricks along the way that make committing those crimes easier and a little less risky. Trump is stupid for sure, but he's not dumb. He might not have the tightest grasp on world politics, which is a terrifying thing to have to say about the president of the United States. But he's also been the head of what some people would describe as a massive criminal enterprise for decades now with zero repercussions. If there are two things every successful high-level criminal knows, it's when to not be around and when to shut the fuck up. Again, that Trump was able to abide by these principles in this particular instance is in no way a guarantee he's innocent. Fortunately. Another thing all criminals have in common is that no one can predict what's going to happen in the future. The sex criminals of the past 
had no idea leaving their jizz at a crime scene would be their undoing years later. People dumping bodies in forests in the early 90s were oblivious to the fact that their cell phones were pinging off towers and shit. For Trump, that problem is the internet. Because here's the thing, Trump isn't a great criminal. He's a good criminal. If there was a Yelp for criminals, he'd have three stars and mixed reviews. He's great at not being around when he shouldn't be, like at that Trump Tower meeting with the Russian lawyer. But sticking to the shut the fuck up part of getting away with wrongdoing, we all know that sometimes escapes him, especially when he thinks he's in the company of friends. Like, those off-script moments at his rallies are a great example. So much so that he can't even fight the urge to point it out himself. I've mentioned it on this show before. After he got all of that credit for not having a total meltdown during the most recent State of the Union address, he congratulated himself for it at his El Paso rally, which I did an entire episode about, right before he went on a huge tangent about how being cool and calm in the presence of one of his rally crowds just would not fly. You don't want that, I think is the way he put it. And then later in that same speech, if you recall, he just very casually blurted out when talking about the backlog of 900,000 immigration and asylum cases currently waiting in our court system. He says this, the good news is we have great law enforcement and Many of these people, we know where they are, and we're going to get them the hell out, but we have to change our laws. I mean, raise your hand if you honestly believe the person who wrote his El Paso speech meant for him to say that. And now put your fucking hands down. You know I can't see you. But you also know goddamn well that wasn't in the speech. That was Trump following through on his most Adderall-riddled instincts and going off script to say something crazy because he knew... He was in the company of friends. Granted, there's a whole bunch of cameras watching and pundits waiting to pounce on your every word, but he said it anyway, and no one really noticed. And what he said is pretty crazy, because it implies that dealing with that backlog of immigration and asylum cases is maybe going to be a mass deportation thing. It at least implies that it's been discussed, and that's a huge deal, if it's true. So... It's almost in our best interest that the discourse following that speech mostly centered around the fact that he was thinking of buying a dog. Because once, oh, should we just deport these 900,000 people? Once that becomes a political talking point, as opposed to something we would call you Hitler over, that means the country's turned a corner and not necessarily in the right direction. I don't know why I said necessarily there. That definitely wasn't in the transcript that I'm just barely clinging to following right now. Uh, It would definitely not be turning a corner in the right direction. I don't think that's even a saying. That's a corner in the right direction. Jesus. But I published this fucking transcript with that in there. All right, it's fine. What does all this have to do with the internet? Well, the thing is, these rallies aren't the only venue where Trump has been known to feel comfortable enough to say potentially incriminating things there's the howard stern show that's another obvious example that's where he very famously or infamously admitted to entering the dressing rooms of miss universe contestants among other things 
He also has talked about some of his dealings in Russia on the Howard Stern show in not the most flattering way. And what all those appearances have in common is that a lot of them happened at a time when no one knew exactly what the internet was going to become. These were live radio appearances. You say your words, the people listening in that moment hear them, and then those words disappear into the annals of history forever. But no, it turns out Howard Stern valued that content a lot more than Trump expected. And now all of those shows are just in archives waiting to be heard. Those clips of offhand remarks from his days of yucking it up with shock jocks. I I actually wrote this sentence. Now clips of those offhand remarks from his days of yucking it up with shock jocks are the jizz on Trump's collection of corpses just waiting to be analyzed by their respective jurisdictions so we can lock him up forever. Writing is so much better than podcasts because I can sound like that and not have to deal with hearing myself sound like that, even though I do mostly just write the way I talk. But still, that you get what I'm saying. Crumbs is what the QAnon movement would call it. There are all of these snippets of radio interviews and TV interviews and magazine interviews also from back in a time when maybe even if the internet existed, we just didn't know it was going to become what it is now, which is basically just a, a dossier of negative information about everyone in the world that other people can access and use in whatever way they see fit these days. It's really turned a corner in the wrong direction, if I'm being completely honest. And I think the craziest example of Trump having said something pretty inflammatory in the past in one of these interviews and getting pretty much no blowback from it now is what he said about notorious pedophile Jeffrey Epstein in a 2002 interview with New York Magazine. This is a quote. I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it, Jeffrey enjoys his social life. So just to be clear, that's Trump admitting in an interview from 2002 with a paper magazine that people were probably going to read and then throw in the trash and never think of again because it's 2002. That's Trump admitting that he's been friends with a convicted pedophile for years and that they both like women, quote, on the younger side. Granted, the world didn't know Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile when Trump said that, but we fucking know it now. We all definitely know it now. So if you need any more proof that Trump is untouchable when it comes to shit like this, look no further than that. Like imagine if that was a prominent musician who at some point in the early 2000s, we found out, said that same thing except about R. Kelly or Michael Jackson, like even then people would have been pretty up in arms about it. Like if a clip like that surfaced today about, I don't know, I don't want to say any musician's name because I don't want to associate anyone with that. But if a prominent musician had been found out to have said something like that in the early 2000s in the clip surface now, we would destroy them. Like their, their career would be pretty much over. Like they, even if this was a year ago, their, their career would probably be over before R. Kelly's, which 
Seems like it's still at least trying to drag along. I don't know. But now compare that to Trump, who his admission that he and his pedophile friend both like him young, it's not even sort of a controversy anymore. And I don't know. I get that there's no evidence, but you know what the fuck he was saying. And all of that makes a pretty great segue into the actual point of this podcast, which is that with all the questions and angst around whether or not the full details of the Mueller report are ever going to see the light of day, the voices of the people asking right now for the exact same thing in Jeffrey Epstein's fucking insane child sex abuse case are being completely drowned out right now. And that is happening as we're up in arms about the Mueller probe. I've said this a lot of times. Whenever something really big happens in the Russia investigation, just take a gander around the rest of the headlines and see if maybe something else is going on too. Because it it was in the midst of all the Mueller stuff that I found one headline that sent me down the rabbit hole that is Jeffrey Epstein's 2007 plea deal in a child sex trafficking case in Miami. And as crazy as the Mueller report, at least so far, turning out to be nothing that we can use to bring down Trump, which is a huge bummer, I'd still argue that there might not be a bigger scandal in the Trump administration right now than the relationship between Trump, Jeffrey Epstein, and current Labor Secretary Alex Acosta, which I know that sounds like a weird thing to say. Stay with me, unless you've heard about this already, in which case, let's go on this journey together. Back in 2007, at a point when Jeffrey Epstein was facing a 53-page indictment that the FBI had put together, an indictment that likely would have sent him to prison for the rest of his life, Alex Acosta, who was then the top federal prosecutor in Miami, agreed to a plea deal. And that alone is pretty crazy because the details of Jeffrey Epstein's crimes are shocking, to say the very least. They involve dozens of very credible claims from girls who would have been mostly aged 13 to 16 at the time, being abused and trafficked around the country sometimes around the world, on a daily basis for years by Jeffrey Epstein. And all of this was happening at a time when he was also living it up with all sorts of very important people, up to and including former President Bill Clinton and current President Donald Trump. And what's especially crazy is that even taking the details of the case into account, which I'm not going to read verbatim here. At the end of this, I will point you to a an amazing resource for information on the ties between Trump, Epstein, and Alex Acosta. But what's especially crazy is that even when you take the details of the charges against Epstein into account, the most heinous crime might be that plea deal that Acosta approved. Because first of all, Jeffrey Epstein got 13 months in jail. This is for a crime that involved as many as 50 to 60 young girls. That girls he was abusing multiple times on a daily basis. I mean, not all 50 and 60 at once. You get what I mean. And he served this time in jail. He didn't even go to prison. He served that time 
in a private wing of a county jail for prostitution charges, no less, because you know how 13 year old girls are definitely capable of making the very adult decision to enter into sex working for a living. Also, fun side note, by pleading to prostitution charges, that meant if this ever comes up in court later, he can say these girls were not victims. They were prostitutes, Your Honor. That's a real thing. He also didn't have to be in jail for most of his sentence. He slept in jail. During the day, he worked from this plush office that he set up like two cities over for reasons that were never explained. Uh, At one point, a detective spotted him just strolling around Miami Beach when he was supposed to be working at this office that was miles and miles away. So he was on work release, basically, and just barely at that. And even after this officer saw him strolling around when he was supposed to be working, nothing happened. He actually got out early. And it gets worse because another stipulation of the agreement was that the accusers in the case not be informed of the details of the plea deal. By the time most of them knew what happened, Epstein had already served his jail time and was back out on the streets, albeit as a registered sex offender, which is another thing his legal team almost got Alex Acosta to take out of the agreement also. But he at least stood firm on that that Jeffrey Epstein had to register as a sex offender. But that is a gross violation of federal law. Victims in cases like this have a right, according to the law, to be notified about updates in their case against their alleged abuser. And especially if their abuser is getting a plea deal that saves him from spending life in prison and instead gives him 13 months in the private wing of a county jail. You're supposed to tell the victims in cases like this that something like that's happening. But there is a stipulation in this plea deal that all of this could be kept from the victims. Most of them did not know about it until after Jeffrey Epstein had already served his time and was back on the streets. And even then, It still gets worse because another stipulation in that plea agreement was that for accomplices in the case, the people who helped him arrange his underage sex meetups were granted immunity from prosecution. So with that, any details that might have come out about who else was involved in these crimes that might have come out during the course of future trials, that's just locked away forever. And somehow it gets even worse. Because by agreeing to that plea deal, Acosta effectively shut down an already active Department of Justice investigation into a child sex trafficking ring involving elites. And I understand if you had an instinctive recoil upon hearing that last sentence. It's 2019. You cannot hear the words sex trafficking and elites without thinking hashtag Pizzagate. And sure enough, one of the people asking for details of the Epstein case to be made public, Mike Cernovich. That's the Pizzagate guy. I'm sorry. Also, Alan Dershowitz, who not only represented Jeffrey Epstein, but he himself has been accused of raping a girl in concert with his fucking disgusting client. Except, twist, Alan Dershowitz says what's in those court records is going to prove the allegations against him are false. And I understand 
if hearing those two names doesn't exactly inspire you to want to hear more about the Jeffrey Epstein case so these two can finally accomplish their goals. Because, you know, Mike Cernovich, Alan Dershowitz, fuck them both, right? But they're not the only ones. And the other people who are asking for this to be looked into again are a lot more credible. For one thing, a federal judge ruled last month that the plea deal that Acosta entered into with Jeffrey Epstein was illegal. So there's another voice saying that some foul shit is afoot here. And with that plea deal now being ruled illegal, that means that Department of Justice investigation that had started back in 2007 and was effectively shut down by Acosta's plea deal, if they want to, they can reopen that. And compelled by that judge's ruling, a group of 14 House Democrats led by Debbie Wasserman Schultz have called on the Department of Justice earlier this month to reopen that investigation that the Acosta plea deal shut down. Meanwhile, since that judge's ruling, Two anonymous figures have come forward to request that the details of the Epstein case remain sealed. And it seems like one of them might be an Epstein victim, which in that case, of course, redact every victim name from the court documents if you're going to make them public, please. But that other anonymous figure, if you look in, if you read where they're coming from, which I keep mentioning this transcript of the podcast you can go read, there's links to all the stories in that transcript. Uh, So go find them there. And if you read that anonymous figure's take on why they want everything kept private, it's more that they're worried about their name showing up in these court documents could bring them some unwanted attention and questions. And for starters, here's hoping it's not Tom Hanks, which that's a deep cut. If you're a, unless you're a Pizzagate enthusiast or someone who hosts a podcast that requires you to look into Pizzagate, in which case you know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, whatever the case, if these particular court documents stay sealed, I feel like we still need to know who the other names are. Like, even if this stays sealed for now, this seems like a big deal. If nothing else, the Department of Justice needs to reopen that investigation. And it seems like a lot more people should be asking them to do it. I Like, please keep in mind, this all predates your, your fears about this being associated with Pizzagate. I honestly don't even remember if we had pizza yet in 2007. We are living in a completely different world now than we were 12 years ago. And that's when all of this initially came to light, was 2007, when the Epstein trial happened, or the Epstein lack of a trial, because they reached a plea deal as soon as the FBI handed down a 53-page indictment that we've still never seen. And on the off chance that the connection between Trump and Epstein hasn't been made all that clearly here, because I'm really struggling with just reading verbatim what I wrote. Felt weird. So, been freestyling. Same thing I just criticized Trump for earlier. The difference is, I'm dope. He's an asshole. So, on the off chance that the connection hasn't been made that strongly between Trump and Epstein, please remember, there is a lawsuit out there from 2013, I believe, 
maybe more recent than that, 2016, uh, from a girl that alleges Trump raped her at Jeffrey Epstein's home. So there's that. I don't know. Is that connection enough for you? And I'm, I'm, I'm mostly just bringing this up because if you're frustrated with what happened with the Mueller probe this weekend, don't lose hope, baby. Just redirect all that rage and anger and all your most activist tendencies toward one of the many other huge scandals playing out in the Trump administration right now, like this one. I would actually suggest this one. I know there are others, but maybe this one. It, it, seems, it seems like a big deal. Just, again, we're talking about the sexual abuse and rape, in a lot of cases, of 50 to 60, 13 to 16-year-old girls. That's a scandal. That, that's a scandal that if we can find out every name involved in it, we should. I don't care if my dad is on the list. Fucking lock him up. Also, he won't be. My dad died a long time ago. But uh, I don't care if your dad's on the list. I don't care if your mom's on the list. Whoever was associated with that shit. And you know it wasn't just Jeffrey Epstein. The girls in the court case a lot of times talk about very rich and powerful people that were involved in this. But the names are all redacted. We don't have names. So if you're looking for another court document that you feel like demanding to see in its entirety, might I suggest the 2007 Jeffrey Epstein court documents? Because what a scandal. God damn, this was weird. I'm still, I'm, I've just got back to doing this podcast, and every week I think of a different way I maybe want to do it. That's one of the defining characteristics of this network. We tend to launch podcasts and then figure out how to do them, as opposed to figuring out how to do it and then launching it. You know, we're sort of a dive into the ball pit and swim around kind of bunch, including me, as you can tell, because this is my solo podcast, and I've really loved talking to you. Uh, just a reminder, I am writing again on medium.com slash unpops, not just transcripts to this podcast. There's at least one more column out there right now that is tied to this week's unpopular opinion episode i think i might start writing some stuff about my quest to acquire every mariah carey album on vinyl i know you're looking forward to that uh oh also this is in the article but i i should mention it here if you want to read way 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 more about the jeffrey epstein case and the alex acosta plea deal and what trump has to do with it all check out the miami herald's reporting on this there's a lot of it and you might hit a paywall at some point but good news you can get a one month trial subscription for a dollar 99 so it might cost you a dollar 99 to read everything the miami herald has written about this case but it is worth it they deserve awards for their reporting on this the first article or the the article i would suggest you start with is called How a Future Trump Cabinet Member Gave a Serial Sex Abuser the Deal of a Lifetime by Julie K. Brown. It was published on November 28th, 2018 on MiamiHerald.com. Uh, oh, by Julie K. Brown and Emily Michaud. So uh, start there and so start there and you're going to have a lot to read. It is fascinating and unfortunately, 
every bit as infuriating as the Mueller report turned out to be. But maybe not. All the events in this are unfolding as we speak. So I don't know. Put some pressure on your reps. Some preps. That's rep pressure is what prep means. Short for rep pressure. Saves me time when I talk. I don't know. The world's on fire. We can't fix this. But the least we can do is uh, talk about it and cry together, right? That should be the motto for this podcast. Hey, come to the Hollywood Hotel this weekend also. March 30th, Saturday, 9 p.m. Free show. Me, Caitlin Cut, Quincy Johnson, Laura Crawford, Kevin Anderson, Sean White, Greg Edwards, Hugh Moore. Get it? Uh, and other people come to that. All right, I'm done with this. Thanks, everybody. I love you. Bye. <laughs>